Post 82 is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know King's ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers. Then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. There are tickets across all major leagues and teams, so head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. All right, we got a crossover episode. I'm Fred Katz. I'm the host of Wizards After Dark. We got Jason Jones covers the Kings, the host of Throne Room Breakdown. Yeah. The Wizards of the Kings just played a normal scoring game. I I, <laughs> I really wanted this year's Wizards to play last year's Kings. I if, oh. I, had, <laughs> if I had a time machine for that, and we could just have like a 185 to 182 game. I'd be really excited. But we had a a 113, 106 uh, Kings victory over the Wizards. Yeah, and it's actually, looking at 106, that's actually a good defensive game. <laughs> you know, the Kings came in, their whole idea was they weren't going to let Bradley Beal beat them, and they held him 10 points below his average. And to, that was a big victory to them. They were talking about that was their focus. Um, get last game in Brooklyn, Joe Harris and pretty much whoever wanted to get a good shot got a good shot against them defensively. So they were really happy to hold a team that's scoring about 120 a night to 106, hold one of the best scorers in the game well, to 20, which is <laughs> a good you know good game for most people. But you know that's a decent you know defensive effort. Uh, Corey Joseph was really saying that after that Brooklyn game, they said, no, we all got to be better. He said it was on him to kind of get that going, and they were really happy with the way things turned out. You know, I thought it was really important, even more so, and they were swarming Beal, but even more so than the importance of keeping his scoring down. And, like, yeah, you look at the line. I know he had a lot of assists. What do you have? Uh, he still had eight assists. Yeah. But you look at the way that he played. They kept his touches down. And thus, they kept his facilitating down. And the thing with Beal, when he first came into the league, he was your conventional shooting guard. Right. He was the guy, like, when people compare, the most common comparison for him was Ray Allen. And it was because people thought of him as this prototypical mm-hmm. shooting guard. And I think sometimes people forget about, like, Seattle Ray Allen, where he was yeah. just <laughs> scoring on his own and dominating. But Beal's one of the best pick-and-roll guards in the league now. Yeah. I mean, he is a really good facilitator, and he's a really, really good half-court guard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can throw him off. You can swarm him. They weren't just swarming him on pick-and-rolls, making him get rid of the ball. Like, they were doing it off the ball, too. And when you can just prevent him from being – because he's the head of the offense in every way. Mm-hmm. And when you can prevent him from being the head of the offense, which is a lot easier said than done, mm-hmm. then you have a better chance of being successful against what's been – literally one of the best offenses in the NBA this year, second in offensive efficiency coming into this game. I thought the Kings actually did a a good job with that. Like, they did a pretty good job. This is one of the Wizards, not their single worst offensive performance of the year, but but one of their worst. Yeah, and the one thing Corey mentioned after the game that was big with that was that their bigs did a good job of showing, getting out. He said Rashawn Holmes and Dwayne Dedman were just great in helping the guards. Throwing a big body in front of whoever had the ball, getting back, protecting the rim. You know, Rashawn Holmes still had four block shots, and so he they were he was getting they were getting back to the rim. They were still they were able to kind of get the rebounding back into a better place. They didn't win the rebounding battle, but it wasn't like it was in Brooklyn where it seemed like Brooklyn got every loose ball. So I mean, overall, they were just really pleased that they were able to 
kind of get back on this defensive track they've been on. I mean, in their last 10 games, they're 7-3, and three, and a big reason. You know, people expect this would be a running team, running gun, score a lot of points, but it's been about defense for them. And asked Luke about was he going to try to emphasize pace more, get him up and down. He said with the injuries and just the way the, the team is right now, there's no need to try to force things running. He said it's about spacing, execution, and playing defense. So it's a different type of Kings team, but – they're playing better, so no one's really complaining right now. Yeah, I mean, really hard to run when you don't have De'Aaron Fox. Like, the the reason that you know this better than anyone, the reason they ran last year is because Dave Yeager looked at the roster, mm-hmm. said that guy is really fast and really good, and we are going to play to the style that makes him the best, because when he's the best, we can be the best, and that was, yeah. that was the philosophy behind it, and that makes sense. When De'Aaron Fox isn't there, it's a lot harder to execute yeah, You that. can't ask Corey Joseph to be De'Aaron Fox. And that's exactly. not a slight on Corey. It's just that Corey plays a completely different style of basketball. And even before De'Aaron got hurt, they weren't really getting up and down. And one of the reasons Luke slowed him down was because of the turnovers. They were 20-plus turnovers mm-hmm. every night. And they had 14 tonight. Not a actually a pretty good number for them based on where they were. And they'll take, I mean, you know, people will say, well, they don't have a great pace. 113 points is 113 points, no matter how you get them. And one big one thing, of the best Wizards defensive performances <laughs> of the year. <laughs> and this is part You're of the game. Giving up 120 in like five straight games. Ooh, yeah. So I, you put it like that. Maybe they weren't so great <laughs> offensively, but I mean, you're down. De'Aaron Fox, Bogdan Bogdanovich played, but he's still not himself. I mean, he said after the game that his hamstring is still tight. He can still feel it out there. He even said after the game that he's basically he'll be a game time decision in Boston tomorrow night just because they don't know how he'll feel in the morning. So you know, you, you know, given all that, no Marvin Bagley still 113 points. You'll live with that. So I want to talk about this with you, too, because we both have our all-decades teams coming mm-hmm. out. Yeah, It's a big thing we're doing at The Athletic. Mm-hmm. We're putting up all-decade teams. 2019 is very close to over. Yeah. We're putting up all-decade teams for stuff. Uh, I wrote my an all-decade, a Wizards all-decade article like two months ago, three months ago, and made a Wizards all-decades team, and The Athletic is re-releasing it tomorrow morning uh, <laughs> along with part of it. Uh, you've written yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got what's so funny about doing the Wizards one, by the way, is that you go through and you're like, who's the all decade team? They had the same damn team for like the entire <laughs> decade. So it's just like their 2015 starting five. It's just like, anyone would know it. Like it's just, it's just wall. It's so obvious. It's wall, Beal, and then small forward is kind of where you have somebody off as a Reza or Porter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it's just Nene and Gortat. And, and that's it. Because they just kept bringing back the yeah, same team every year. Yeah, and it just seems weird because it, it, it dawns on me, Gilbert Arenas missed this decade. Pretty. Yeah, yeah, Arenas missed it. Yeah, I was like, yeah. This, We're old. Yeah. <laughs> We're so old. It feels like Gilbert played not that long ago. You think about it. Yeah, I guess. like 14, yeah. 12 to 14 years ago. Yeah, the Hibachi was a long time ago. He was yeah. dueling with Kobe, so that sells you. That was like 06. Yeah. 07, so 05. Now I feel old. Yeah. yeah. That was a long time ago. Yeah, and you've got one of my all-decade guys on this team. Well, that's why I wanted to transition, because the Wizards' starting point guard is your all-decade starting point guard. Yep, Isaiah Thomas. I talked to him before the game. That's my guy. Yeah, and I figure Kings fans, I think you said Kings fans still care about him. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's 
he's one of the, I mean, the Kings have had a decade of just questionable moves. Why did you do that? And that remains near the top of, I think I, I put trading Isaiah Thomas for Alex, the draft rights to Alex Oriaki, and I think a second round pick. Missoula, Alex Oriaki. <laughs> I put that right up there with firing Michael Malone as two of the worst decisions they made. And, and, and to this day, people just were like, why did you guys give up Isaiah Thomas? And that was that was a sign-in trade. What was yes. that contract? Four for 28? Something like that. 27, something like that. It, it was a very... It was about seven a year. About seven a year. Years. And, it, and mm. when he signed it, when he signed that deal, the general reaction was, even though Phoenix had three point guards at the time, mm-hmm. and that was the Bledsoe, Dragic... Isaiah Thomas trio, which did not work, yeah. and they gave up on it not even a year in. Yeah, they kept, they didn't even keep, in, yeah. That's, they, they, none of those guys made it through their contract with Phoenix. No, and it's, that, that's one of the most bizarre situations yeah. when your GM gets fired for not having a point guard. Like, you had all three of those guys. You yeah. didn't keep any of them. I know. <laughs> and, and so Isaiah Thomas signs that four for 28, and the general reaction when he signs with Phoenix was, oh, that's a great contract for Phoenix. Like, right. He's worth that. What are what are the Kings doing? And then, eventually, it somehow becomes an even better contract than people initially thought, because he becomes an All NBA point guard on that contract, mm-hmm. and literally finishes top five in MVP while on a seven million dollar a year contract or about a yeah. seven million dollar a year contract. That's an outrageous. King situation to remember. I'm yeah, sure you were here. It was just a weird <laughs> a thing. It, it just felt like the whole time when Isaiah was in Sacramento, the only goal of Sacramento, whoever was in charge, Alessandro or you know it was Chris Mullen who was there, and then he, you know that whole. It felt like the whole t- mission was even before those guys. The whole mission was to prove that Isaiah was a backup, and they would bring in anyone they could to make Isaiah a backup, and he'd beat him out. Repeatedly, and then when he got traded to Boston, it was interesting because I was still working at the B, and I was in town right around that trade. So what I, I think I stayed an extra day or something, and I went to the Boston shootaround because they were going to be in town, and I talked to Isaiah. Then I told him, I said, "You know, you're going to be starting here because anytime it's been a competition for the starting job, Isaiah's never lost a competition." He'll go somewhere and they'll say, you're not going to start. But if it's just about playing, he always ends up starting. And then in Sacramento, we would talk about it. He would say, if they were bringing in Chris Paul, you know, I could get it. They were bringing in guys like Graves Vasquez. And, I mean, just, whew. they drafted Jimmer Fredette with him. And they literally had to tell, they literally told the coach at the time, Keith Smart, you have to play Jimmer. Even though we all knew Isaiah was better than Jimmer. That's so crazy. Yeah, it was. They, Imagine if he weren't five eight. Yeah, five nine. If he were six two, it would be a non. No one would have this discussion. But it was literally. I remember having that conversation with Keith Smart. I even wrote it where he said, "I was told you need to play Jimmer for two more weeks." And yep. then he played him, and then he didn't play well. He started Isaiah. They won in Toronto. <laughs> See, it happened this year. It happened this year. He plays three games off the bench, and all of a sudden, he's starting. He is very different now, though. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what. I, I'm going to have a piece out this week. It is, and tonight was a great example of this. He shot one free throw tonight. Mm-hmm. It was because he got fouled on a jump shot mm-hmm. on a mid-range 
fadeaway shot that he got fouled on. It is amazing to go through his numbers now and look at what he was in Sacramento, what he was in Phoenix, especially what he was in Boston. That MVP year in Boston, he had a career high in both true shooting percentage and in usage rate. It's very rare, obviously. Those are supposed to have inverse relationships. You shoot the ball more, your efficiency goes down. And part of the reason why, and I think people who watch him a lot know this, his... He was unbelievable at getting to the rim and getting to the line. You're right. He was getting to the line nine or ten times a game. And he's always been a good shooter. Mm-hmm. But he just doesn't get to the rim at all anymore. His finishes around the rim, especially in traffic, mm-hmm. they're just not there. He's getting to the line like one time a game. You look at his shot profile, he's shooting three. Uh, com- compared to his overall shots, like the ratio of, of shots that are coming as jump shots versus at the rim, mm. he's shooting three times as many jumpers as he used to. And it's so different. And you look at his jump shooting numbers this year. I mean, you look at today, and I've talked about his defense about 500 times on this mm-hmm. podcast. I can't, I just can't have this conversation. Well, I've had that. That's been a conversation with him as well. Right. Career. Like, I know what it is. There's nothing new to analyze today. So we're going to talk about this. But Isaiah. Six for 11 from the field, four for seven from three, hit a big corner three uh, when the game you know, was, was close mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. And you look at the jump shooting numbers this year, really good. And he's been pretty efficient. He's been kind of hovering around league average, a little above league average in terms of just his scoring efficiency because he's been such a great jump shooter. But it is fascinating to follow just like the transformation of how he's trying to reinvent himself as a scorer yeah. to stay relevant because he's so different as a player now. Yeah, just I mean, he just had this burst when he was before the hip. It just had mm-hmm. this amazing burst. And it was crazy is you look at that season not this past the past season, the season before that when he got traded to the Lakers. They had to shut him down even though he wasn't healthy. He they, they started winning games because he was playing. And it's like, hey, this is not part of the plan. We suck. We need to go ahead and, you know, get get ready for a draft pick. And Isaiah's winning us games. <laughs> and it's just watching him now. It's and it's tough for me. Like I said, I've known him for a while now. And just seeing him have to fight through that. And I know people say, you know, about the money part of it and how much he might have made if not for the injury. And it's it's it, he's had to really reinvent himself. And it's been a different it's been different to watch him. But I still see Isaiah in there. I just kind of have to remind myself. I think he needs to remind himself. He really hasn't played in over a year. I mean, he really didn't play last year. <laughs> so No, he, he he really didn't play. I mean, he played two years ago. That wasn't but he hasn't him. been comfortable in playing. Yeah. And now now I think he's, he's comfortable in playing. He's so not close to the player he used to be. Mm-hmm. I do believe if this is the player he is, I do believe there's a role for him. The, the defense is just on another level. Like, he'll, it's not that he's small. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't move. And it's not even like he just doesn't move how he used to. Mm-hmm. Like, the effort's just not there defensively. No. Like, he just, like, he, he just doesn't close out. He just chooses not to close out on dudes. Or he hits a screen and he's like, well, guess, I <laughs> I'm guess I'm imagining I'll just what a closeout from here. him is going to look like, though. I mean. <laughs> 
Yeah. You mean if a guy is six eight, I don't know if IT's clothes out is gonna. <laughs> well, he he seems to agree with you. <laughs> I, I, he seems to take that exact mentality. Maybe that's what he's saying. What the hell am I gonna do? Mm-hmm. And I wonder too, just. You know, I know he says he's feeling better. I just wonder how much of that is conserving himself. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we know guys do that all the time, but when you already weren't a high-level, high-rated defender, when you start doing that, it's it's really going to stand out. And I think he, he always stood out defensively just because of his size. Then you add, you add the age, the injuries, just, hey, you know, it is what it is. But I think in today's NBA, there's definitely a role for him. Right. I think he would get cooked less if he played against reserves. Probably. Like, I think it's... Backups aren't that good at taking advantage of individual matchups. That's why they're backups. I mean, some are. Yeah, and the like thing if he's going is, against Lou Williams, he's going. Yeah, and the thing is, the thing about thing about it is hard to keep him as a backup. Most most coaches right. have found it's hard to leave him as a backup. Right. And even I know there was a, when uh, Malone first got to Sacramento, Isaiah was uh, coming off the bench. He finished every game. <laughs> They had brought in Graves Vasquez to kind of be, you know, the uh, the big point guard. You know, people out know, this way always know about Graves from Maryland. You know, big point guard, true, you know, true point guard facilitator. They brought him in. You know, Graves wasn't finishing games. It was it, and eventually it was starting again. It always came back to somehow, some way, he he would be the starter. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, any, we got anything else that uh, you think is interesting to talk about from this game? Uh, it was interesting that the, the Wizards weren't very interested in defending Harrison Barnes tonight. I mean... Is Harrison Barnes named everyone? Is that... <laughs> I mean, they were, he got to the rim a few times, like, so easily. Yeah. I mean, seven or eight... I, I was telling him, I was like, man, you're almost perfect. You had to miss two free throws and one shot. I mean... Yeah, you had 26 points on eight shots. That is... I mean, I mean, there was some of those drives. I'm sitting there going, are they at least going to, like, wave at him? I mean... Well, look, Th- Thomas Bryant's help defense this year has been so late. He does this thing where he comes over to help on drivers mm-hmm. and simultaneously worries about his man. So, you know, like, do you ever play 2K? Yeah. You know when you're playing 2K and you're driving to the rim and the CPU will kind of come over and stay in an athletic stance and just kind of keep shuffling next to you, Mm -hmm. but there'll be a glitch and it won't, like, lock into you. Yeah. And you can just go right by them. So if the sound quality totally changed for you just now, it's probably because apparently in the middle of my and Jason's recording... We, and when we were recording at the arena, uh, Jason's phone decided to not cooperate with the actual recording and just kind of stopped working. Uh, and so now we are recording the rest of this episode. We have a location change in the middle of it. Jason's in his hotel room. I'm right. in my apartment. Technology's great. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to do stuff like this. This reminds me of, I think it was uh, before De'Aaron Fox was injured. Uh, we record a podcast, and then we're done. We think we're good, and then boom, De'Aaron's hurt. And you try to figure out, can we? Can you work around it? But there's really no way to work around it. So at least it wasn't anything like that, but hey, it happens. Yeah, the only thing that, that, that is going to be hurt is, uh, is, is just my relationship with your phone. Yeah, and my phone, you know, it's my phone. Yeah, my phone will be okay. It'll get over it. 
me, not so much. <laughs> I hold it out. I'm around too many NBA players. I, I hold a grudge. Oh, see. But if you're an NBA player, you only hold a grudge over gambling debts or who's dating who. So I think we'll be okay. <laughs> uh, well, the point that I was making about Thomas Bryant was he he will rotate over. So like a, a penetrator will be coming into the lane. And he'll start to kind of rotate over. And he's late on his on his help defense a lot. But, but even when he recognizes it, he'll come over. And the analogy that I was so ironically making as we had a technological glitch was that it's almost like in like 2K. You said you play 2K. Like it's almost like in 2K when you, you, you the guy gets into his defensive stance and, and you get in and like he just doesn't lock into your offensive player, the defender, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of what happens with Thomas Bryant. Like he 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 is shuffling his feet alongside the guy, but he doesn't want to leave his guy because it's almost like his hands are down because he's like worried about a dump off or a pocket pass or something. And the guy just kind of moseys his way on into the paint for a layup. And, and I've seen that happen a few times. It's like there could be a contest, but if there were a contest, there also might just be another open layup on on Bryant's guy. And so Bryant just doesn't kind of help all the way off, and he gets caught in no man's land a lot. Yeah, and that's what a lot of bad defensive teams do. I mean, I've seen a lot of bad defense covering the Kings over the years, and you see a lot of that. You don't have that trust that you need. And clearly in those cases, he doesn't believe if I rotate over, my my teammates got my back. So then you get caught in that situation where, okay, either way, you're giving up two points. <laughs> So, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And you see it with a lot of bad defensive teams. And the good offenses know that's going to happen. So they try to get into that paint and make those guys make a choice and force you to make the right defensive call or defensive you know, rotation. And usually bad defensive teams either don't – they don't make that rotation. Well, that's one of the things that I wonder with this team. That's one of the things, like, you know, we talked about Isaiah Thomas's defense, and, and that's been a problem from, you know, both a, a height, and I shouldn't even say both, but just all of, like, a height and a mobility and an effort standpoint, uh, where you wonder if you're playing a guy like IT, and he's certainly not the only culprit. Look, there, there are no really good defenders on this Wizards roster, but there are a lot of young guys. I mean, just in the starting lineup, you got Thomas Bryant's 22, Rui Hachimura's 21, Troy Brown is 20. You got Mo Wagner, who's 22, as a very consequential player coming off the bench. You've got Admiral Schofield on this roster, though he's not playing right now, but he's still learning. Justin Robinson is young. Isaac Bonga, <coughs> excuse me, Isaac Bonga is 20 years old. You got these really young guys, and eventually, right now, that's just the thing that Thomas Bryant does. He's too young to really have unbreakable habits. But the last thing that you want is for that to become a habit. Is for I don't want to rotate off my guy because then my guy's going to score. I'm not. No one's going to help the helper. You don't want somebody thinking that, and you don't want somebody thinking, well, now I always have to be looking out to rotate here because this defender always makes the same mistake, and I have to go fix that. You're, you're not creating those good habits. And eventually, at some point, this doesn't happen with everyone, and it doesn't happen with everyone on any single particular kind of play. Some play might just work its way into habit as on one guy and not work its way into habit on another and vice versa. But you don't want – that's what they mean when you say, like, on bad teams you can create bad habits with young players. That's one of those things. It's not necessarily bad habit 
of missing shots. It's the bad habit of those sorts of things where you don't want Thomas Bryant to be that's just become part of the fabric of who Thomas Bryant is as a defensive player. You don't want when he's 25 years old for him to still be doing that. Uh, and, and he might not. He might fight through it, and it might be fine. But that's the habit stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And part of that is, too, is getting better defenders around him. You got four or five bad defenders out there. Usually you, you can hide a guy, maybe even cover for two. But if you got four or five bad guys out there, it's just, you know, bad defense almost begets more bad defense. You know, and I've seen it, you know, you see it on the perimeter. You see guys who figure they don't have rim protection behind them. They gamble more. They jump the passing lane unnecessarily. Then they give up that. And the Kings were really good, were really bad for that, where the big man was always in trouble and compromised because they couldn't contain anyone on the perimeter. And one thing the Kings have done really well over the last couple of weeks is really emphasize everyone does their job. You worry about your spot. And then you, you, they always say, stay on a string. If that man rotates, you need, you know, if, if Rashawn Holmes comes up on the pick and roll, he needs to know that Harrison Barnes is not going to just, you know, go to sleep. And so, yeah. that, you know, and then if he has to get it back, he can get it back. I mean, there's only so many, you know, there's only one Rudy Gobert, you know, or if you're, you know, you're Brooklyn, you have a DeAndre Jordan and a Jared Allen. Most teams don't have that defensively. I think the Lakers might be having that now and they use AD or Dwight, but most teams don't have a, you're just a dom, you know, a big man that can just plop down in the middle and say, "You've got the paint. You've got to have all five guys together." And a lot of bad teams defensively don't have all five the guys together. You've got one guy maybe going rogue, or this guy's worried that his his man won't, his helper he won't get help if he helps. And then you see what you saw tonight with the uh, Wizards, where I mean, I swear they were going to let Harrison Barnes get forty if Harrison wanted to get forty. Oh, I mean, he had 26 on eight shots, so <laughs> that would that would make sense. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question that I've never really asked anybody in a podcast before because I have never recorded the second half of a podcast an hour and a half after recording the first half. Uh, I know we talked about Isaiah Thomas. Did, did we talk about him as your, as your uh, all-decade team starting point guard, though? I think we did, but I mean, I can always revisit that. I know I, I've got a pod coming where we talk about our, the Sacramento Kings all-decade team. And when I talked to Isaiah before the game, I told him he was my all-decade point guard. And that speaks to a lot of things. You know, it, just, it speaks to the fact that the Kings, some of their best, no, their best players, some of their best players had their best years away. I mean, Isaiah became an all-star away, you know. DeMarcus was an all-star in Sacramento, but he also was an all-star in New Orleans before he got hurt. Tyreek Evans, who people forget about, he was rookie a year in Sacramento, but he also had a really good seat. His when he made the playoffs with with uh, New Orleans, AD was obviously the best player. And I he think he was really good in Memphis. Yeah, so I mean, they have it, to me the all-decade for the Kings is just a reminder of. Hey, this guy was good, but or what if they could have done this, or what if they would have drafted better? What if you? What kind of team could they have possibly had? It was just like a big collection of what ifs, rather than saying you know let's celebrate you know the last decade because the Kings, I mean, for the last decade have been one of the worst teams in basketball, so there wasn't a whole lot to celebrate. Right. I mean, it's really funny. Like I think if there are two all-decade teams that you had to make, that could be more different. Like, now that I really think about it, it's kind of the Kings and the Wizards, right? The mm-hmm. Wizards were 
had so much content. I mean, they had ups and down seasons. I mean, the start of the decade, they were rebuilding, and and by the end, they were. No, I should say by the middle, they were they were a pretty most of the middle. They were just a pretty solid playoff team who could potentially you know who'd win a a, few, a first round series every once in a while. But there was so much continuity. It was always John Wall. It was pretty much always Bradley Beal. Otto Porter was 2013 and then there for most of the rest of the decade. Trevor Ariza had two stints. It was so many guys. And then the Kings, it's like everybody. You want new ownership? Great. You want a new front office? Great. You want another new front office? Great. You want another free front office? Great. Oh, Vladi's already there and we're still going to renovate the front office? Great. You want new rebuilding cores that we're going to turn over every six seconds? Sure. Like, it's so different. Yeah, and I mean... The Wizards had yeah. a GM for 16 years, you know? Yeah, and I've, had, and, I've, and I've covered three GMs, and I think I, I want to say, I mean, I was talking about eight coaches. I mean, I, I had three coaches in one season. I had three coaches before the All-Star break one season. <laughs> I had Michael Malone, Tyrone Corb, and George Call all, all by the All-Star break. And oddly enough, Jeff Hornacek, who was coaching Phoenix, lost to all three of them. That is an amazing claim to fame for Jeff Hornacek. And I was like, wow, you lost to all three Kings coaches. That's pretty amazing because when the Kings were being coached by Corbin, quite honestly, they gave up playing basketball. They were so sad about Malone being gone. <laughs> but they could still, they somehow beat Phoenix. You know, yeah, so, yeah, all decade. I know someone was, at, you know, after I turned in my, my story, I think my editor asked me, did I have an all decade coach? I'm like, are you serious? Like a coach? Which one? <laughs> I mean, do you say Jaeger because he had the one season that was close to 500? But then again, he still got fired. Do you say Malone, who was the most popular? I mean, he's still one of my favorite coaches I've ever dealt with. But, you know, I don't think he didn't even get 100 games. So, I mean, <laughs> just a lot of weirdness in Sacramento. And I mean, I think things are, I think things are starting to go in the right direction. But then you hear about the podcast or... They say that Vlade didn't draft Luka Doncic because he didn't like his dad. I don't completely believe that because, I mean, me knowing Vlade, and you look at who they drafted Marvin Bagley, and people were complaining about Marvin's dad, and I haven't had any negative experience with uh, Marvin Bagley Jr. at all. But if you're going to say a, a GM doesn't want a guy because of his dad, why would he take Marvin? Oh, I feel bad for Bagley. Yeah, because, I mean, Marvin's dad was on, on social media basically saying that Coach Yeager wasn't giving his son a chance. And I don't I know. I feel bad for Bagley. Yeah. Uh, He's just yeah. in a no-win situation right now. Yeah, like I say, like I say if he can be, he's got to be Tim Duncan. He's got to be Tim Duncan. He's got to be, he just can't be good. He's got to be, he's got to be a superstar. He's got to be a Hall of Famer because no matter what he does, You've got a guy down in Dallas getting LeBron-like triple-doubles and capturing the imagination of the whole world. And unfortunately for Marvin, he can't stay healthy right now. Just fluke injuries. I mean, he hasn't, you know, every, it's not like he came in out of shape and got hurt. I mean, you know, first game of the season, someone hits him on the hand and breaks his thumb. And he doesn't even think it's broken that day. He's like, I'm fine. Then he, he said he woke up the next morning and it's throbbing. Goes to the you know, gets an gets an MRI. Oh, you got a broken thumb. I mean, last year he got hurt because a guy fell into his leg on a screen. I think. Then he like jumped weird and landed and, tur- and twisted his back weird. I mean, he just had a bunch of just weird, unfortunate situations. So I got this called up now. The uh, the Mavericks are averaging one hundred seventeen point four. 
points per 100 possessions, which is 3.8 points per 100, which is a ton, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like 3.8 points per 100 is the difference between the third-place Rockets and the 14th-place Heat. That's like 10 spots in your league leaders, 3.8 points per 100 possessions. That's a lot. And the Mavericks are 3.8 points per 100 better than the second-place team, which is the Wizards. Mm. 117.4 points per 100. That's the most since NBA.com started tracking per-possession stats in 1996. So you're saying they are pretty good on offense. Yeah, and that's because of Luka Doncic. They're deep, whatever. The reason they are that good is because of Luka Doncic. Like, it's so unfair to be like, that dude has to be Tim Duncan because no one is Tim Duncan. Right. Let alone Marvin Bagley, who is who is very talented and I think is going to be a legit good player. Yeah. But that's like, who, no one's Tim Duncan. I no think Marvin's going to be 20 and 10 easy, but. That's not enough. Yeah, I mean, like I said, not when a guy is getting 35, 14, and 12. Yeah. And, 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 and doing it, and he did it. To wins. Yeah, and he did it in one game with that Warrior game, like in, what, 25 minutes or something crazy. I mean, there's just no way, there's nothing he really he can do. And it, it's really, unf- I mean, it's not his fault, but hey, it is what it is. And I think, I do believe that when Marvin does get back, He'll have plenty of fuel, motivation, and all that to really ball out. Because hey, do you want to? I mean, how long can you really be tied to this? Yeah. Yep, that is most certainly true. Uh, so you can look out before anything else before we wrap up. I no, think I think we might as well right. get we might as well get out while technology is still on our yeah. side. While we're still <laughs> recording, yeah. before both of our computers completely shut down. Um, Tomorrow morning, look out for my all-decade team. I did it a little bit differently uh, from others. The Wizards just had so much continuity. Like, you know, I if you already read it, you already read it. If you're there and you're reading it and you're thinking, where did I get this from? It's because you might have read it in August when it was originally posted, but it's being re-released uh, from when I originally wrote this before we decided that we were just going to have all of our beat writers do all-decade stuff. The Wizards just have, you know... It's just they have all the same guys. And so I, I decided that it's more fun as a thought exercise and it's more fun as like something to read if I just go through and I pick out their rotations and treat it as an actual team. And it's not like here's what the roster it's going to be. It's like here are the best lineups and here's why I'm picking certain guys. You know, you need a shooting specialist here. You need a guy who's going to be good at corner threes. You need a guy who's going to help as a rim protector, pick and roll, those sorts of things. And piecing together an, an actual roster and writing, you know, starting lineups and closing lineups and wh- how they might go small and those sorts of things and treating it as if it's an actual team. thought that would be a more fun and a little bit more of an intellectual exercise and read. So look out for that tomorrow morning. I have an article about Isaiah Thomas changing himself as a scorer later in the week. He's taking like three times as many jump shots as he used to, and I'm going to write something on that. Uh, I will be podcasting Tuesday. Oh, uh, subscribe to my podcast and subscribe to Jason's podcast on iTunes. This is a free episode. Tuesday I'll be doing a 
Behind the Paywall episode. So subscribe to The Athletic to listen to that. You can get 40% off on an annual subscription at theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark or for Jason's, uh, what are you, theathletic.com slash Throne. Throne, yeah, Throne. Just Throne. Throne. Just yeah, and if the, yeah, and if there's any other thing, if it, if that doesn't work, just go to dot com slash kings, and you'll find all the stories there. You'll find the podcast. Uh, my all decade will be dropping sometime soon. It was a little different for me because <laughs> the Kings have had so many different players, and the one guy, the obvious one, was Demarcus Cousins as my all decade center, and we actually have a, a all decade pod coming too. So. You'll hear all my, you know, all my explanations as to why I picked the guys I picked, guys who I didn't pick, you know, you know, when you're the Kings and you've had so many different guys, different players, you can go a lot of different directions with this. So, you'll, you'll, I think, I think you'll get a kick out of it. You think you'll enjoy the team I created. It'd have been a fun team. And actually, if you think about it, uh, well, that that team couldn't have been together because. Uh, for that, uh, one of the guys is going to be Buddy Hield, and you can't have Buddy unless you kept in, in without Demarcus. So that wouldn't have happened. But yay, have a little fun with it. Great, and uh, hope hope you enjoyed the uh, unintentional two part pod that we did. Um, like I said, I'm back Tuesday after uh, the Wizards play in Denver. With a probably paid episode, and then Wednesday I'll I'll be doing another post game show, and I think that one will probably be a free one up on iTunes. If you want all of them, like I said, subscribe to the Athletic, get our stuff, get my coverage, Jason's coverage, Wizards, Kings, rest of the NBA, MLB, NFL, everything else mm-hmm. that you that you follow, Premier League. What'd you say they're doing now? Uh, everything I know. I saw WWE? some someone mentioned they wanted. I wanted to write a WWE thing. I didn't get a chance to, but that that's definitely coming. You know, so <laughs> you'll get that from me. And I'll be back Monday night after the Kings play at Boston, looking to go to five hundred for the first time in the season, which will be pretty monumental considering this team started out zero and five. And so if they can go, they can go eight and three in their next eleven after being zero and five. I think we can, people can stop trying to get Luke Walton fired, which was which, which was a real poll in the newspaper after five games was should Luke Walton be fired? So, well, in in the newspaper's defense, they are used to the Kings. That is the reality that they see. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I can't even argue that they do. We, we did just talk about. The magic of Jeff Hornacek losing to three Kings coaches in one season. Hey, I, I, I think I'm just, you know, it's just me. I'm lucky. I got to, I get to see things most people don't get to see. So, hey, <laughs> you know, three coaches by February, by, by Valentine's Day, that's, that's pretty special, you know. <laughs> you, know what, you know what? You know what's a hell of a story idea? Go through and find out if any other coach has, uh, has lost to three coaches on the same team in one season. I don't think many teams have had three coaches in the same season. That's the problem. You're right. It should be pretty easy. Yeah, to find th- yeah. Out. I mean, I think I think we'll start there. How many teams have had three coaches in the same season? And then we can go from there. But I mean, I don't think teams want to make a habit of having three coaches by the All Star break. No. Uh, the first one that comes to mind was the Dwight Howard, the first Dwight Howard Lakers. Right, but even then. Uh, yeah, was it was it Bickerstaff only like was only around for like five games? Yeah, well, Mike Brown was only around for four games. 
Oh yeah, wow, poor guy. Yeah, well, we saw how that ended. I think, I think we, I think we can agree. When you have three coaches in one season, it's probably not good. Yeah, it's definitely not a good. We, we, we're not going to find an example of how that was a great move ever. <laughs> For sure, not a good thing to shake it up to yeah. that degree. All right, we're out. Read my stuff. Read Jason's stuff. Listen to my podcast. Listen to his. I'm back Tuesday. He's back Monday. We'll talk to you guys. Then. All right. Good night, guys.